Guys, what is up? It is Stu. In this podcast, I am talking with JJ from Thrivestry. JJ is a, let's just put it this way, he's a smart motherfucker. And I don't normally talk about programming on this, you know, with my stuff here. I'm staying on the business side. But every now and then, I like to dig into programming and kind of where it's kind of taken some of the gyms. And we talk a lot about competitive culture inside of CrossFit gyms. You know, is it your fault? Is it something that's happening externally because of the nature of CrossFit? We talk about calling your members athletes. Is is that a good or bad? Like we get into a bunch of good shit. I hope you enjoy this. And again, as usual, micro fucking gym university link in bio, Instagram, sign up, enjoy the podcast. Awesome. Alrighty guys, it is Stu. It is what the fuck gym talk. And I have, you prefer JJ or Jeremy? JJ. JJ. Okay. That's what I always yeah. hear. Uh, Craig, Pat, you know, Patty, uh, always refer to you as, so we'll go with JJ. I've got JJ here with Thrivestry. Did I pronounce that correctly? That's correct. Thrivestry. Good. Okay. If you don't know what Thrivestry is, I'm gonna let JJ talk a little bit about it, but essentially here's the major- here's how I know JJ. There was a guy that created a list of all the, the lifts, the benchmark times, what you would need to run a mile in, how far a 500 meter row would have to be like, these are like the standards. And I forget whatever gate year, whatever year that was, you created that standards list, maybe it was 14, 15, I don't know, whatever it was, Mm -hmm. but you kind of created that male and female, like here's kind of what you would need to perform at lift wise to make it to the CrossFit games or regionals, whatever it was that saved me so many fucking headaches in my gym from people like, man, I, you know, I've been doing this six months. I really think I'm going to go for it. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. (laughs) I'm, I'm all for that. I want to give you this slide, you this piece of paper that this, some man on the internet made, I don't know how far off are we on all these? You know, come back with the Delta and, uh, and we'll discuss. And that generally like just silence most people. I'm like, you know, I think I'm just going to keep this like I do pick up basketball and not try to go to the NBA. And that saved me a lot of headaches. But anyway, that was my first real like, this guy is great. This is phenomenal. And then I've, I've kind of followed you along and, I, you know, Chandler and Craig and the Mad Labs guys and what you guys do. I'm obviously a huge fan, big supporter. But JJ, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to let you go in and kind of introduce yourself to anyone who's listening that may not be familiar. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me. Like I said, I'm I'm a huge fan too. You've been, you've been saying stuff. I was like, who's this weirdo who keeps posting shit on the on online every every like every day? You Just know? cramming I, it down the throats of those affiliate <laughs> owners groups. And then I'm like, well, you know, I was like, well, that was pretty. That's that's so true. I'm like, why does he need to say this? Everyone should know this. And I'm like, wait a minute, people don't know this stuff. Like people need to hear this. And then I was like, yeah. oh, cool, you know. So um, yeah, I I uh, um found CrossFit in 2004. I was doing MMA and uh, uh, needed something to kind of, I think I saw on some message board and someone had a, like a signature at the bottom that said like CrossFit is like cheating, you know? And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. So I, so I started just kind of stalking in the, the dot com site for a little while. And then right around July, I was like, I'm going to try this first workout. And my first workout <laughs> in CrossFit, I shit you not, was um, Tabata squats, four minutes, max muscle ups, Tabata squats, four minutes, mass muscle up. So it was two full, full, four so minutes. much you just did squats. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing a lot of air squats as part of my conditioning. And, and uh, we would do the deck of cards where the, the red card was push-ups and the, and the black card was squats. And, and we would do two decks. So it would usually take us like 30-something minutes. It would be like four or 500 squats. And, and uh, it, was, it was dumb. And so um, I ended up doing like 16 or 17 across and all the first Tabata and a lot less. And then I couldn't walk for four days. But when you're, when you're in the kind of the MMA world, when someone shows you something that hurts and you're like, ow, 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 ooh, do that again. Ow, yeah. oh, oh, show me how to do that. And so then it kind of like locked me in. My second workout was Fran and <laughs> a, couple, a couple of days later. And uh, um, I don't even know if it was called Fran at that point. I don't even know if they were named yet. 
what but, year? Uh, 2004. Okay. And so, and so uh, I started doing it, right? And I was doing it in my apartment. I was doing it at the, at the dojo. And uh, eventually I found some guys on the CrossFit message boards that were in my area um, in Northern California. And then we started doing it a couple times together. And then they were like, hey, let's, let's do this affiliate thing. And I don't know if we were in the first 50, maybe, maybe definitely the first 100 affiliates. And I was like, $500? That's ridiculous. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, um, uh, and, but we did. And we started Diablo CrossFit in my backyard in 2005. And, awesome. uh, um, and I had two partners. Eventually, we uh, bought one out. And then, and then we were off and running. Um, and we started off in my backyard, then the park, then the 600 square foot gym. In 2008, we were like blowing up, you know, or, or just bursting at the seams. So we went and found this like enormous 4,000 square feet place. And it was like, oh, I don't know, man, this is going to be a big, big nut to crack every month. I don't know if we can do it. And, uh, um, uh, and I had, I had actually quit my, I was working as a mechanical engineer. And I quit my engineering job and was doing this full time. And, and uh, uh, you know, my partner at the time had to like basically say like, if the gym can't pay you, I'll float you for a few months, just like a couple grand. But, but uh, if it doesn't work, you need to go back to work. And I was like, okay. But it was, we were blowing up. And so we found this place. And then, and then in 2000, January 1st, 2009, we, uh, we opened the new place. Now, this is, this is some of my advice for gym owners. Don't do what I did and do it in secret. We tried to like, we wanted to surprise all of our clients with this like awesome new space. It was like huge. And we had this mural and like this custom rig. You guys might've seen the, the Diablotron is what it's named, but it looks like an upside down pirate ship. It's, it's, uh, um, it's actually kind of one of the things you were talking about having the pull-up bars from the ceiling or having, yeah, having the posts come up and then the pull-up bars go out from that. That was what I designed with my engineering mind. And I used my 3d, uh, um, uh, CAD skills to design it and how a local welder do it. But, the, the posts are about four feet apart and then they go up and then the, then the pull-up bars come off at an angle from that. Cause I was thinking small footprint, sure. right? So, so people could work out next to it. But uh, um, so we built all this in secret and it was all on us and a few volunteers to help us get it ready. And I like killed myself to do this. And then, and then, and then we opened on January 1st, which is like the busiest month of the fucking year. Sure. And then I was like, and I was doing all one-on-ones with everybody that came in at that time. And so I was, I, I remember going to the affiliate gathering in 2009 and uh, I was hanging out. Like I, I saw everyone that summer at the, at, at Aromas. And then, and then I saw everyone at um, the affiliate gathering. And I just remember Rob Wolf specifically being like, JJ and like coming up and give me a big old hug. I'm like, bro, what's, are you okay? What's wrong? Are you, are you sick? Cause I had lost 25 pounds in, in the, uh, I normally walk around about 215. I'm about, I'm, I'm pretty tall, about six three, six four. And, uh, uh, and I lost 20, I was like down to like 190. So did you get the surprise off that people walk in and like shit, like, wait, why are we meeting at this different address now? Or like, did you get this, did you get to pull the surprise off? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so we, we told everyone, okay, okay, everybody it's uh, new year's day. Um, we're going to, we have a, we have a surprise. We have a new location. It's, it's a couple miles up the road. Um, technically a different town, but, but really not that, not that far. Um, we're going to do, we're going to do one workout here. And then there's just a few pieces of equipment left. And then we're going to carry stuff, physically carry some of the stuff to the new gym on like a, like a running trail. And we had one guy carry a, a, a keg of water. And, and uh, most people, it was just like a barbell. And they, would, they took turns or whatever. And they came to the new place. And we had a lobby. And uh, we, we blocked off the doors so you couldn't see into the gym. And so they didn't even know how big it was. So they come in and we do like a little speech or whatever. And then, uh, and then we 
open the doors and turn on the music and the lights and people were just like oh my god See, you know? don't you wish you would have been filming this shit back then like had the document. oh yeah oh we had no video of someone i know and now it's like it's doing anything without videotaping it is is a, is a bad idea on every on every front now um so yeah, so we, so we did photos. Thing. We had yeah. photos, and I can go back and look at those photos. And a lot of those people are are still my friends. Still they're still the gym. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, but that was so a when big did you thing. evolve from a from the model the model of owning the gym to now what you do now, which obviously has a lot less overhead. Yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, uh, so that was that was 2009. Um, we ended up filling that space. The space next door became available. We knocked down some walls. That location turned into 16,000 square feet. And then we, we uh, uh, and then while we were doing that, we opened uh, three more locations and then we're remotely managing a fifth. So we had five locations. Um, uh, we ended up closing one because we wanted to focus on the other ones. It was, we were subleasing and we didn't like that arrangement. And uh, um, uh, then eventually, uh, and, uh, well, and while this was all going on too, the CrossFit Games became a thing. And, um, and I went to the first CrossFit Games 2008 not the, the first, my first, the first year, I guess, 2007. Seven, yeah. And uh, from 2004 to 2007 and eight, there was no such thing as CrossFit competition. People don't realize that it was, CrossFit was purely to look good with your shirt off and to do other shit. That was, that was the only reason why you did CrossFit. I wanted to be good at MMA. I wanted to be able to go snowboarding and I wanted to, I wanted to look good with my shirt off. You know, that's why we, and it was fun. It would go in and you know, you could do a 30 minute workout or, or an hour long class or whatever, and you were done for the day. And that's all you had to do. Because I, I hate fucking exercising. <laughs> I hate working out. That's why I like yeah. CrossFit. <laughs> you know, because I don't have to, you know, like, it doesn't have to be this big, long process. And I've never actually done any other sort of uh, uh, like, like working out training. Uh, unless it, it wasn't was a, a sport like MMA or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had the, the, what was so motivating was if I wasn't in good conditioning, I got my ass kicked. So like, I was like, I need to work out because I'm going to get my ass kicked. So it was purely for that reason. So then when, when the competition thing started to happen, it kind of made sense to me because then I was like, okay, I don't want to look like an idiot and, and lose or do poorly. So I want to train to be, to compete. And so, you know, I competed on our team for, for a while. And then, um, one year we, we, uh, we made a critical error in the moment and we didn't go to the games because I was on the team and I couldn't see it from the outside. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Like I can make someone at least as fit as me, but no, not any, everybody else can coach like me and have this, this perspective. So then I kind of stepped back and worked more as a coach. And, uh, um, and then after that, we went to the games and, and, you know, we're like top 10, a bunch of years, got on the podium, uh, uh, at least one time. And then I had my, my partner at the time, uh, uh, Craig Howard, he, he, uh, got the gold medal in the masters. And then I had Alessandra Pacelli was training at my gym and Margo Alvarez was there. And, uh, um, so obviously they did great going to the games and everything. So I was, now I was in this mode of, yeah, we were still the super fun gym. Cause originally, you know, when, when we were doing this, we didn't have any good athletes. And I was like, well, if we can't be the, the best gym at the competition side. We'll be the most fun gym, you know, and have yeah. the most community. So when we went to Aromas, we'd bring a, literally a hundred people. So like there, we, we had a, um, we, you know, you'd set up tents or whatever. We got like one of those like, like carport tents that you'd use for an RV that was a pain in the ass to set up. But, but that's how many people we had this huge tent. And we were just like the party crew. And, uh, um, and so I, but I knew if, if, if people were having fun at the gym and everything, they'd stick around long enough and eventually they'd get good enough to go to the games. And that's what happened. You know, so we really focused on the community first. Then once we were doing this, this competition thing, I started, we started losing touch with that. We started chasing this competition thing and we had these like competitors or whatever. 
but keep in mind that that 95%, 90% of our clients had didn't care. They were supporters and they would hold signs up and they would go to the events, but they weren't competition material. They didn't want to train like that. Yeah. And so um, uh, fast forward to like 2013, 2014, the, the uh, well, I think it was 2013 or 14 was the grid league started. And so I was part of that, you know, so, yep. so um, um, pretty good friends with Tony Budding and uh, um, we find out about he, that he's left CrossFit and uh, got to hear a lot of little dirty secrets about how Cross HQ was operating at the time. They're much better now, but, uh, and, and uh, um, you know, things like he hadn't had a raise in like four years. So imagine going from like 2009 CrossFit HQ to like 2013, 14 Cross, you know, CrossFit HQ and how big it was, hadn't gotten a raise, you know, like. What is Tony Buddy doing these days? Drone racing. That's pretty cool. It's actually one of the fastest growing sports. Uh, and he was talking about it back in the grid thing. And it was, uh, we were like, really? The- that, that's cool. I mean, he's constantly, he's on, he's on the fucking edge. Good for him, man. Yeah. He, I think he, um, well, he's in charge, I think, of the media and stuff. So the Drone Racing League, which is now this big national thing and tons of money and everything like that where it's the first person and they, they fly these drones. And yeah. it's, if you ever watch it, it's crazy because it looks like, like Star Wars where they're like chasing yeah. each other around and stuff. And for and, people uh, who don't know what grid is grid was just, again, think of um, if a sport grew off of a sport, it was, it was my opinion, the more um, as it was the more pleasing narrative of the sport of CrossFit. It was the thing I think CrossFit where CrossFit started stealing the linear progression of the workouts with the 21 on the floor and the 15 on the floor that I, I believe that yeah. definitely came from grid. Um, I think it's just a bit of a job taking all these freaks that are CrossFit athletes that are going to do 90 fucking muscle ups in a row and squat a thousand pounds and realizing they'll never be good at the sport of CrossFit, but they could be a complete freak of nature and a bench player and a good role tasker in this new team sport that obviously stemmed from CrossFit. And it, it flew too close to the sun, in my opinion. You can't rent out Madison Square Garden in your infancy fucking year, and too much money came in and money left, and then everyone got left holding the bag. A buddy of mine started the, the franchise here. I got to sit in on that meeting with the Carolina Crush. And uh, you just you – know, and then Joe Tabaldi, who's a very close buddy of mine who uh, was – the SAGL and then the MPGL and it was it just was it was it was like an Icarus kind of thing it, it it was it had all the right things going for it and so I think the main concept was you know Tony was 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 an integral part of the games obviously and uh like the invitational right and what what they kept trying to do was let you know people would complain like this like CrossFit games is unwatchable as a fan like yeah, it's trying to understand where people yeah dog shit it's like, you know, who's in first and they're videoing. That's how do you, how do you video it? It's in, in ultimately the CrossFit games is really about exposing people's weaknesses. So you create all these challenges and you're just trying to find people who can't accomplish them. And, and they, and, you know, they have a bad finish or they get beat by these other people. And so really what you're waiting to see is people fail versus like, well, what if we made it to where it's a two hour match? So casual fans can watch it. That's a sport. Um, that it's it, there's only two teams so it's very easy to understand who's in first and the way it's set up is is a, uh it's called a grid because the the field of play is a grid and you move through these quadrants and you can always see who's in first and they developed uh sean buck who's i think he's doing a lot of work with level method now yeah, with level they, um, he developed a whole software for for point tracking so you know there's always a scoreboard that where you can see and it was like a, it was like a power bar like a video game of who was in the lead by how many reps you yeah, know yeah. and then there's points and everything and uh, um 
And so it was, it was, the whole idea was, is how can we make this approachable for casual fans to be, who don't do CrossFit to be able to appreciate it and, and, uh, and sit down and watch it? It was pretty it was, much if American Gladiators could get on television in like the 80s and 90s, then we can make this thing work. And, and again, I think they could have. It just oh, went too God. If, it, it, you know, if, for two reasons. They grow too slow or they grow too fast. And yeah, that- yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you guys some background of what really happened in the, in, in the financial side from my understanding. But uh, it, it was like, it was, it, was so, it was so smart. So they set it up to where the matches were all like five or seven minutes long. And then there was a two minute break in between for commercial breaks. It was designed yeah. for television. So uh, me coming from an MMA background, you know, if the UFC had figured out, they had been on pay-per-view for so long that it was established five minute round, one minute rest. Where if they said, okay, well, if it was a five-minute round and a two-minute rest, they could show some commercials, and they would have made way more money. But it was already established that it was like that. And, and so they were building it with the television in TV mind. TV in mind, yeah. The, the, the part of that, though, is TV was already on its way out. You know? So they were, doing, they were doing all this stuff to appease CBS and NBC. Like We were on NBC broadcast competing yeah. football. Like at the championship match, I remember sitting at a restaurant and seeing, and I had people calling me and stuff like, I just saw you on TV, you know, like, yep. like, uh, I mean, they, they, they made some pretty cool moves in the beginning, but, um, they had raised, I think six or $8 million, uh, uh up front in, in funding. And, uh, um, uh, this other guy who, who started the max effort black box in New York, Josh Newman, he, uh, uh, raised some money and was basically said, okay, this is money for the grid league or whatever. And then that money didn't exist. And he's, I think he's in prison right now um, because he had raised money that for the grid league and then used that to pay off old debts for other investment ventures that he had raised money for. A Bernie so, Madoff kind of scenario, yeah, a little super, Ponzi-ish. Super, yeah. Shady from what I understand. And so people were literally calling up the grid league saying like, oh, I own part of the grid league. I, I kind of wanted to learn more about it. And he, we were like, what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so, but you said the American Gladiators. And I think that was one of the pivotal differences that they should have done. They were trying to run it a little too much like a professional sport instead of they should have ran it more like a game show. And it should have been a, like the, the teams were all independently owned and operated. And so they would say things like, okay, we're going to have these matches all over the country and you got to pay to fly your athletes and raise your own money and everything. And they really should have just maybe kept it all under the same umbrella so that they own the teams and then they could have sold them off later. And, uh, and, and again, d- did it more like a, more like a reality TV show where there was like cameras following them everywhere in the yeah. houses. We, we had this mansion set up with Sam Dancer and all these like crazy characters living together, Ben Garrard and, and uh, Jared Sasser, and it and was like, why wasn't there a YouTube channel dedicated to making a, a documentary on this? I know it would have, it would have been, it was the shenanigans that they were doing at the house yeah. was hilarious. And I did get some video, but it was like there should have been like twenty four seven. Yeah, should have fucking Kardashianed it up, real world, real oh, rules. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what blew the UFC up, right? Because the yeah. UFC was still a very, very, um, uh, you know, like a small, weird thing until they did the spike tv show and then it blew up you know yeah people don't give a fuck about they like characters my wife watches the kardashians and in so facto i watch the kardashians and i just (laughs) want to see what scott disick is going to say like that like i identify with characters and so anyway so grid gone you know did its thing and then enter you really went full on into online remote programming and things like that with thrive yeah yeah so so um so the grid league, I'm flying all over the country for the grid league. I'm doing the still, uh, the grid league deliberately kept their season away from the game so people could do both. And so I'm trying to do, t- trying to teach both and, or, you know, coach both. And, uh, I got really burned out on this, on the, the competition side. 
And I reread that book, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And, and, uh, um, I, and I wish he had, he had already written Find Your Why because I was trying to find my why, but that book isn't the easiest to use for that. But I realized like my why was I like, why did I quit being an engineer? Why did I, you know, start this gym thing? Why did I even do martial arts to begin with? And it was because I wanted to like, teach people how to thrive, like teach people how, like, what are the life hacks? What are the secrets or what are the things that you can do to make your life better, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and really change people's lives. And so then I was at the gym and I was like, yeah, I want to go back to just helping regular people, the people paying the bills are, are bread and butter, so to speak, <laughs> the, uh, you know, not or paleo bread, I guess, but, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to teach people how to, how to have a better life. And so, um, I was kind of going one way and my partner really wanted to keep doing the competition thing. So, so they, he was like, no, it's part of our DNA, you know, and I had come up with this analogy and I said, you know, our, our competition athletes were like our race team, you know, like, like that's where, you know, anti-lock breaks came from was racing, you know, so you can discover these, these, these training protocols or these methods, and then that will kind of trickle down into the rest of the programming. But after a few years and having the competitors so much at a such higher level that we weren't seeing that anymore, you know, like they were, they had to do their own programming and they were taking it to the extreme where regular people, that's not what they needed. And um, regular people actually still maintain their nine to five versus the competitors who realize this is my nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about the differences in programming in a minute, but like this whole yeah. program for the best uh, scale for it's the something rest. I definitely want to get into one of the big things I want to talk about this. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to call it a crusade, but mm -hmm. like the idea of calling every single member, you have an athlete. Yeah, no. Right. Bad. The idea, the idea of, you know, this, the competitive culture that some CrossFit still, you know, I've made this post the other day about how, Hey, gym owners, stop spending, spend less time working on uh, your snatch for 90 minutes of mobility yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and make some more time for this other business stuff. And dude, you'd think I would have told people that their, their mother was a whore. Like I literally, mm -hmm. the amount of DMs I get people like, it's fucking ridiculous. Listen, I can go ahead and do both of these at the same time. I'm like, yeah, if you can. Like if you, that's obviously the goal is to be able to do both, but generally you're sitting, you're telling me, I'm like, cool, what's the name of the full-time staff member that's running the gym while you're doing snatch work? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not that you don't have that person. Okay. So the time that you're taking for your 90 minute snatch session is directly stealing it because you haven't replaced yourself in there. The one domino, it's the other one coach, gym owner, Johnny. And that's, that's how shit falls down. And then you're left with a PR in your snatch, but you can't pay, pay your fucking bills or hire someone full time. Somebody walks in the door and you got your shirt off and you're all sweating. Yeah, and it, 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 one of those things. to talk to them and then they don't sign yeah. up, you know? How, so well, do you like, see the gym you call, you call someone's mom a whore? Yeah. And they get really offended. Like, they, what's going Was on she there? she being whorish? Because, like, if she's absolutely not like that, you wouldn't be nearly as offended, right? Correct. Yeah, 100%. You call people out on trading their snatch. Like, they get really offended. And you're like, hmm. It's probably why. So yeah. answer me this, because you work with a lot of gyms. You do programming. Not, and you do this. You, you guys do affiliate, like, full-on full gyms and then individuals, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so, um, uh, so uh, anyways, I, uh, around 2011 – people started hitting me up for programming. They were following the Diablo blog when they needed ideas that they were just literally copying and pasting. And I was fine with that. And I was like, Hey, just give me a shout out every once in a while. Eventually people started asking for it in advance and they're like, we'll pay for it. So I was like, okay. So I just was like, all right, I just made up a little subscription thing. And so we had like 10, 10 or 15 gyms back in the uh, 2011, 12 range, um, sort of following my, my programming. And because I was already programming for five gyms and having to think about space constraints and, the, the, the level 30 something coaches having to be able to coach this and answering all these questions and, 
and uh, it was it worked really well in these other gyms in, in these other gyms. And so when when we decided, uh, my partner, I, he wanted to do the competition thing. I you know didn't, and uh, uh, it was time to separate. So after ten years, you know, it was it was time to separate. And I have to say, you know, it was his vision to say like, look, it's not it's not worth it anymore. It's time to separate. I never even considered that as an option. So we, we went back and forth who would buy the gym and then eventually, so I sold um, most of the locations. I kept one location that had another partner that I could kind of coach at part-time and still be involved. And it was our newest location, so I wanted to also build it up. I think part of it was ego too because I wanted to prove to myself that I could run a successful gym and it wasn't, it wasn't just my partner, you know, because there was kind of like this like, oh, I, you know, if this gym wouldn't be what it was if it wasn't for me, which is true, but we had a chemistry. And so, um, and so I, I, I probably should have not taken on that other location, but, it, but I did and then doubled its revenue and got it going. And then I sold that, but, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, uh, but so, so I was like, what am I going to do? So then I had these subscribers and I was like, you know what? I could sell programming online. And so then I started selling programming online and then it blew up. There's like, there's like five or 6,000 people every single day doing my workouts, like almost around the world. So almost every hour of the day, if not every hour of the day, someone is doing a Thriver Street workout somewhere on the planet. That's cool. awesome. Now, what are you seeing? And what I, what I really think that you're going to be able to, I, and I think this is a, I want to talk about the competitive atmosphere of the gym, like a competitive, a good competitive, bad competitive, people trying to get away from it, but then still advocating it, maybe unknowingly kind of scenario. Where do you see when, when gyms are coming to you for programming, who are they looking to program for as far as it goes? Like, I know a lot of people like, and I've made this statement. I, um, J- uh, Jacob Tispian, Tispian, oh, fuck, yeah. Do, yeah, me and Jacob got on a podcast a while ago, and we jammed on this for a while, I'd made a statement like, hey, you know, gym owner Johnny, out of all the things you can outsource, you know, it, with limited, if you have limited funds, and you had to pick just one, I wouldn't recommend it be the programming, if you could only outsource one thing, you're thinking talk about the cleaning, the coaching, the this, the that, the programming, I would say programming is, the, is not the immediate one to outsource, it would probably be something that has more scale to it and creates a job for someone else, if I have 500 extra dollars a month, instead of giving it to travesty, I should probably give it to a coach who could do part-time and come up with a plan to make that $3,500 a month and an actual real salary, so me and I've had this really great conversation on this entire concept, of programming your for yourself versus outsourcing and he he made all these amazing points and things like that like you know i'm sure you get a lot of like well how the fuck do you figure out the logistics for a gym and this that and the other thing but the second you tell me engineer and cad drawings i mm. literally could give you the i get, i mean like and here's the thing which i think would be amazing and you know someone's able to go ahead and i i give you the blueprints of my gym you know the you know the acumeasure drawings and you're able to go ahead and say on this workout here's where you put the boxes here's where you put the rowers like that kind like with technology, that kind of stuff made sense to me. Someone's going to do it. It'll be an engineer like yourself or whatever it is. Yeah. But the thing yeah. that still I'm curious of is when someone wants the programming, what do they tell? Like what kind of, it's like when they're ordering a, a food item off a menu, I want it grilled to this way. Like, are they saying, I want people, I want this to entertain the best or the rest. Is so, it- so exactly. So, so most of uh, I don't know if I've talked to very many people that say they want to have this badass gym and all their people are like going for the regionals or now it's the sanctioned events. You know, it's all pretty much everybody I talk to is like, we have regular people at the gym. And that's kind of funny when people say like, how can you have somebody else program for you? And I was like, where do you think CrossFit came from? (laughs) It was an online do this at home kind of a thing, you know, and it worked like amazingly well. And, uh, um, and, and, and the, the, the reality is, is that, is that most people, 
don't know what they don't know. And so, so they don't realize how much better the programming could be if it's done by a professional who can put in the hours and hours of planning and writing everything out so that, so that it can cover a lot of these bases and, and have the flexibility, you know? So yes, if you write a workout up that's, that it just has a few numbers and some abbreviations, um, there's a lot left up to the coaches to kind of interpret and modify. And that puts a lot of pressure on your coaches. And if you don't have all the coaches on the same page, you know, like, like uh, we did a workout yesterday that's actually an old CrossFit workout, which is, uh, I think it's 10 burpees and 25 double unders, 12 minute AMRAP. And so it's, it's nothing crazy. It's a great little workout. And, uh, you know, we, we do a format where we do a, a lift and a short Metcon a little bit less than half the time. And then we do the longer Metcons the rest of the time. So, so, uh, um, I, I, I call that the more of a mastery model versus a strength bias and, and a, uh, you know, Metcon bias. And we can talk about that more later, but, but the idea is, is that, is that if you have like your morning coach and they're like, okay, guys, we're going to practice snatches. And then we'll do all the snatch work and then, okay, just, you know, do single unders and, you know, don't go hard on the Metcon. And then somebody else spends the, the entire hour doing a bunch of other stuff. Like those, those people in the evening and the mornings are on different programs because of the way the class was delivered. Instead of saying like, here's the, here's the lesson plan for the entire hour where everybody's going to be doing these things and customized to them, but it still like follows a very, a very structured format that's going to make sure that everyone's getting the results because they're following a, a program versus just doing a workout. Right. Yeah. And it's, you, you, you know, you use the food analogy and the way I explain it, I love, I love using food analogies is, is a, a, you know, I'm creating the recipe and delivering it to these gyms, but they're the ones making the food and giving it to the clients. Right. They're the ones, they're the ones providing the, uh, the environment and the service and everything. And so I'm going to give lots of guidance on how to do it and, and all these other things, but it's really up to them and to kind of put their own spin on it or tweak things according to their people. And that's, and that's where like the, the, the really the big programmers like me and, and uh, uh, you know, warm up workout and box programming, Jason, like we deliver a lot more than just just here's a workout to do. Here's another workout to do. Here's another workout to do. It's, it's a lot more of like, here's how you create an experience, you know, that not only the programming is there, but it's a lot more, going into it than just here's a workout you know has anybody else bridged the technology gap like what Kalipa's nc collective has i know that's obviously got to be something all you guys are looking at or maybe doing already is that how big is the technology built an app lesson plans all of it in one-stop shop very they're, they're the only guys i know of there might be some there might be other people but like you know like uh you need, i i recommend just like you can't do it better than beyond the whiteboard or sugar water yeah so like you know, we're on, we're going to be on sugar water here. We're on train heroic. We're on beyond the whiteboard. And it's like those apps and like the data that they track is just phenomenal. You know, yeah. like, like beyond the whiteboard has this gamification where it's a, you have a, a fitness level and it changes as you do certain workouts that they're tracking. So if you do a 500 meter row max effort, it's going to adjust your fitness level. And it's yeah. a scale of like zero to a hundred, like a hundred, you're going to the games and then like, you know, like 80, you're pretty fucking fit. And so, so, uh, um, and so like, I, I actually, program those those workouts deliberately because what i like about their fitness level is that it actually um is it it'll drop off if you haven't done it in six months you know like that's the problem i have with like uh, you know, and i haven't really looked at the level method a whole lot and i understand it's a great tool and, and um, it provides progressions and a, and a path for people to, to get from here to there but if you test for like a blue level like a blue belt in martial arts the difference is in martial arts once you learn something and you you know you're in your you're learning it like you don't even if you're not if, if you take six months off you still remember it you know it's like riding a bike versus like if you lose the abilities and you tested for it six months or a year ago are you still at that level that you have to yeah, retest for it yeah you know and, and 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 it's also like 
you can be a level of certain things, but it's like, there's so many yeah. different aspects of. Yeah. And you got to imagine that's something that, you know, uh holiday and, and, and Sean and those guys over there are running into and like, Oh fuck, we probably should have admit, you know, read, you know, uh, like for CEUs, like edu- for certifications, you got to yeah, certify yeah. that, you know, and can do what you can do and that kind of thing. Well, I'm sure that I'm, and I'm sure they have a great solution for it, but, yeah. but in my mind, cause I've looked into that, I've thought about that years and years coming from martial arts backgrounds oh they should have we should do like little you know silicone wristbands or some kind of belt yeah, system yeah. gamification of it but uh, why do you why do you think crossfit gym owners are so like again i can come like i can make some kind of you to make some content about anything calling one out calling anyone out calling their mother a whore whatever it is but the second like programming comes out that used to be such a prideful thing that like either people felt very, very prideful about the programming. Like even the, I think it's a huge evolution in a good way. The fact that people are off handing that to people. Like I've always been a, f- a big believer in, you know, you, your programming is not the special reason your business is su- successful, right? It's just, it's one of the elements kind of scenario. But why do you think programming, like for example, I, uh, I've been making a lot of content about how we got rid of the the rig right like urban movement in my rebranding thing and get rid of the pull-up rig and the amount of questions of it wasn't even like anger more concern like but what are you going to do about back squats and i was like i'm going to be honest with you in our group model we don't do like there's no like sub maximal strength stuff at like 80 percent or above or anything like that and you know the back squat if you ask me and I, you know because you're, you're you're one of these guys like everything you do in crossfit 97 percent of the time is an anterior base squat like oh, the yeah. majority, yeah, everything is. So like the back squat has a less of priority. I mean, like people are like, no, I just, you got to explain it again. I don't understand. Like, how are you going to back? So I'm like, well, we're just not, or it'll be a load that someone could get to the shoulder, get to overhead and could safely lower to the traps. But honestly, we're just not. And they're like, no, but one more time, what, what are you going to do for back squats? And I just couldn't, I'm like, yeah, anterior, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, uh, it's funny how people get that tunnel vision, right? Well, it's not you're not people can't get fit if you're not doing it. And it was like, guess what? Like, there are plenty of really healthy, fit people that just have a home gym with some kettlebells or dumbbells, you know. Or yeah. it's like you can you can get really fit. Is it the fastest, most efficient way to do it? You know, maybe sure. not without without doing that. But can you, yeah. can you create workarounds? You know. And, and yeah, I mean, I, like I, I still, you know, it's funny because when I started CrossFit, like I said, I was, in a, I was on a, a, a the patio of my apartment with a screw on barbell and I hung my rings off of the, uh, the neighbor upstairs is like, you know, uh, uh, fence or whatever, <laughs> like handrail. And they never said anything, which was kind of funny. And then uh, uh, like, if I had a workout that had pull-ups, I would actually hang the, hang the, the, the barbell off of some chains and try to do pull-ups and I couldn't kip and you know my knuckles get bloody the barbell is the pull-up bar yeah yeah so I couldn't do it that's some DIY shit right there nice oh yeah I like like it and and or or doing it at the at the martial arts school and and like the only place I had to do pull-ups was this like huge you know uh, square square steel tubing because that's where the the heavy bags were hung and I would just do them on that and I had to you know and I I figured it out and and you know you can you can still get insane results working around all these little things it's kind of like yeah. you know like not doing back squats is like saying well what are you gonna do what, what, you don't do barbell lunges you gotta do barbell yeah. lunges it's and- like it, yeah if you didn't have a pull-up bar but you had a lap pull down you'd still be okay 
Yeah, yeah. It'd still be okay. No, it's not apples. To, it's apples to oranges, guys. Same thing. Like you know the squat rack thing. I'm like, well, it's just again. It, I'm a I'm a big guy. I'm a big operational capacity guy. So I need a barbell, and then I need X amount of plates, and then I need a squat rack, and then if I'm going to do it in a group, I need to have like two people to one of those, and they need to be of similar height. They can't be tall and short, and they need to be of similar strength. And even if they're weak and strong, I guess they could strip plates off, put plates on, and they could share the squat rack. But in a 60 minute workout where I'm paying people are paying me to get in, get fit and get the fuck out. It doesn't really work with my model. And literally people's jaws are on the floor and they're, they just don't understand this idea of not, and and it part, and it's like, Hey, I can grab, like grab a dumbbell, grab a kettlebell and do a goblet squat. Like have someone, like someone who wants to argue the back squat thing to me and just the average CrossFitter. I'd love to just sit them down, pat them on their little head and say, this is a, this is a 70 pound two poo kettlebell. I like to just go ahead. Can we just have like some front squat? We just do three sets of 15. Can we just, can you, and then get them to get done and be like, man, holding a kettlebell in the front rack. And like, I think we look at things like goblet squats as this modification for the weak people or the new people to come in. It can still be stupid fucking challenging, stupid mm-hmm. challenging to the highest level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It and just, and it, it, again, people, they just get this tunnel vision. They like, they said yeah. they don't, they don't know what they don't know, you know, sure. and, and, Everyone thinks that that their programming is great. And I think that there's sort of this this thought that like again it has to be customized to their tastes and their community, or that they're going to find some sort of secret that other people haven't figured out yet. And yeah. and uh, and it's like, look, the the reality is, is if you know, like I'll I'll self tell people, like, okay, if you had if you could spend 20 hours a week or more just programming, and you had 10 years of experience and data to back it up you know, and, and you had, you know, thousands of hours of coaching on the floor, would your programming be better? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, what do you think? What do you think we're doing? You know, <laughs> like, sure. You know, like, and, and, uh, and so it's like, I've been, you know, doing this. And so people, people like, they don't realize that their programming isn't very good. And, and it's, and it's work no matter what, like, if you're not spending like, you know, three, four or five hours a week creating the workouts and like distributing the content to the coaches and the, and the clients and all that stuff. Like you're probably not doing a very good job programming. And, and it's like, okay. And you might be fine with that. And, and uh, if that's, if you have, if you're focusing on other things, that's great. But if you're, you know, if you, if you want to just save that, that 30 hours a month, I mean, that's 30, that's 20 to 30 hours a month. Sure. Like paying $200 for programming is, is a no brainer. If you, if you just sure. took, if you just took one, uh, uh, if you saved one client that might have quit, or you signed up one new client once, that like pays for the programming forever. And, and so, and a lot of people probably, have a, I can understand in your business, a lot of people might have a hard time looking at that because, like, I spend an hour a week, like it's not that big of a deal. And in on your counter argument, it's the quality of it is not as well thought out. This, that, and the other thing. What about the argument that like group programming? cannot deliver an optimal result because you you're not in control of the attendance of the individual sally shows up monday wednesday friday one week and then tuesday saturday the next week and then this is and she's missed every day coincidentally by serendipity she missed every day you did back squats and now this amazing program you put together has no validity for her and you realize programming is in my opinion before science before efficiency it's logistics and I'm a huge fan of this word, the word narrative. For me, I'm trying to tell a story because I do believe, watch a CrossFit class, I think it looks like a bunch of drunk fucking chickens with their heads cut off running to the rig and then out the door. And why is that one grabbing a kettlebell and that guy's like on his face? What's wrong with it? I'm always thinking, how can when I bring people in, it might, might again, my facility being a little bit different, there's people sitting there all day from 5.30 in the morning till we close at 7.30 p.m. on laptops in the, in the co-op working lounge watching. I love that. 
And I want people to see a narrative. I very grid-like, very fight gone bad is my favorite workout because it tells a fucking story. It makes sense. It's the same reason. Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Exactly. Right? And, and you All can tell who the characters are. And I'm just at this, this different level than I used to be with it. But even when I went and went the OPEX route and stuff like that, and you know, I was just educating and learning stuff, it just really got hard to sell the validity of my group. The, I, I could say the group program is great when you show up consistency and follow it on these days and assuming you have this certain training age and assuming you have this certain this, like how do you guys argue and, and not debate, but like have discussions. Like if I'm sitting here and saying it's really hard, if not impossible to deliver optimized, perfectly optimized trip fitness for someone in a group, or is it like we can't, we can get them to 80% and then yes, individual design is going to have to be the next thing. Yeah. I mean, we can get them probably 90%. And then, and then, to, uh, so like I, another food analogy, I say my programming is like eating at a restaurant family style. You know, if you were to do a class where, where you had to dumb down the movements and, and, uh, uh, you know, really just sort of everybody does the same thing. That's like going to a cafeteria and they hand you the tray of food. You don't have a choice. Sure. Or individual design is like everybody goes to their own restaurant, <laughs> you know, like yeah. where, where family style everyone sits at one table, there's all these things offered and you and your coach are going to decide what you want to pick and choose out of the day. You know, so that's a lot of the, that's a lot of the extra work and like the logistics. So I did a lot of project management when I was an engineer. So I actually use my project management tools and I do everything on spreadsheets where I'm actually looking at like critical paths. So that's the story like, okay, what time of the year is it? What are we focusing on? Is it, you know, are we doing a little bit of stuff for the open? Are we doing some stuff for more running? You know, so we change it throughout the year, you know, so like I'm a fan of we start doing a little bit of open prep. Now it's just shades of gray. Most people wouldn't even notice, but like I hate chest bar pull-ups. I think that they're a terrible movement for regular folks. They shred people's hands. They were invented for competition. You know, in 2008, they, they had a problem with people doing sort of a butterfly. It wasn't even called butterfly, I don't think at the time. And judges couldn't decide, determine if people's chins were over the bar for this fitness you know, competition thing. So then Greg and Lauren said, let's do a chest-to-bar pull-up, and then it'll be easier to judge. It was invented for judging purposes. Have you ever heard my, and this, there's no truth to this that I know of, but I think it's true, my story of how I think chest-to-bar pull-ups were invented? Oh, I, I, I went to school right outside Columbus, Ohio. I used to go to Rogue Fitness in 2006-7. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they would go there, and the Rogue bars, if you look at old-school rogue, rogue rigs, they had two bars. Every pull-up bar had two bars. You know what I'm talking about? They had the yeah. one here. And then there was, and everyone always wondered, why is that there? It's kind of in the way. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to hit my nose on it when I go up. And it was this really weird thing. Like, why was it there? I would go in there and we'd be dicking around and it would be, we'd be doing, you know, again, you had your hands on the rogue, you know, the pull-up bar here. And then again, I think it was like seven inches up, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. There was another one. Yeah. You would chin over the second bar. Oh, hmm. and that, and so people would be like, Oh, you know, you got to get your chin over the second bar. Mm-hmm. And then what that meant is your chest just kept hitting it. And that was like mm-hmm. in 2006 and we were fucking around with that. And so whenever I saw that, I was like, huh, I wonder if that shit traveled. And like, that's how it happened. Anyway, it, that's the story it, it I tell have, people. I remember when Bill, when Bill call, <laughs> called me out of the blue, cause he saw my rig, you know, and was like, Hey, we want to sell these, we want to build them. And again, I was like dying. Cause I just built the gym and I was like, I can't like, I, <laughs> like I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm way too busy trying to grow my gym. Then, and then not, you know, worry about this. And I was like, I don't know how you'd sell this and make, create a bolt together version, you know, but, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, 2008 was the first time CrossFit ever did chest of bars in like a, mm-hmm. you know, in the games or whatever. And so, so, but going into the open, I'll, I'll include some more skill work around chest bar pull-ups. We might do a few more workouts on average. We, we do usually do 2.4 kipping pull-up workouts, 1.2 um, chest bar pull-ups in a month. 
Um, but then we'll do 1.2 strict pull-ups or sure. strict chin-ups. And then we'll do weighted pull-ups. Yeah. Where do you, so, you see so, gyms uh, wanting open prep? Is that a thing, Jim? Like, well, like, you know, it's, it, 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 I've seen the drop-off. There's a lot less people doing the open now. Um, there was a big – Are you a fan of that or no? You know, if, you're, if you belong to a running of- club, if you're like a part of a running club, you should do a 5K at some point. Sure. <laughs> so, like, if you do CrossFit at a CrossFit gym or, or very similar – then you should probably do the open at least once or twice. Just I, I, I think it's a great community event. Like I think it's yeah, the, that's, best, yeah. the time I tell people that's the best time. And this is the last year any gym owner will be able to do it. The best price raise time. And I've done this in one year. I've done over 60 gyms is the third week of the open. If you have a nice, good open culture, because no one's canceling your gym third week of the open. And you've had, and again, you've been planning this for six to eight weeks. You have all these customer service plays that lead up to it, but that's a great time to do it because everyone's in love with your gym. However, I get a lot of gyms now where rebranding is kind of this thing, right? And I fucking hate that. I don't want to be known as the guy champion rebranding. I just want to be the guy telling people, you probably don't need to paint a dirty car. You just need to wash that motherfucker. But my thing is I got a lot of gyms that I talk to, and I'd love to hear your take on this. They're just like, God, I'm just, I got this competitive click or this competitive element to my gym because that's what we used to be and a lot of those people have kind of matured moved on or left but there's still this element and it's this element that you know wants me to come in and judge them at fucking 2 p.m on a friday for the fucking open and is asking for these extra accommodations and take it so seriously that it takes away for the fun element or they're following ben bergeron's programming which it should be again like it's one of those things like if you if they're programming if the gym hires the programming from you and you all follow Thrivestry, that makes sense to me. If someone just, one of my members is just like, yeah, I just don't think you know what you're talking about. But this gentleman I've never met before, but seems very knowledgeable on the internet. He has a phenomenal program that I'm going to follow. And I'm going to go ahead and that would annoy the shit out of me, I guess. I, I don't know. But competitive culture. Gyms yeah, wanting to yeah. remove it in their gym, but then still glorifying things like the open, calling members athletes. Like I would love to get your take on the calling members athletes. Don't call your members athletes. <laughs> Thank you. My it, God. It, you know, I think it, it's usually done because you want to like empower people, make them feel good about it. It's themselves. insulting to real athletes that are doing this as a nine to five profession. You can't work at Bank of America from nine to five and go to five CrossFit one hour workouts a week, fucking hashtag, you know, whatever, and, and call yourself an athlete and follow, you know, 10 games athlete. It just drives me insane. Yeah. You know, if you go, if you, if you're on a softball team with your coworkers, you don't call yourself an athlete. You know, no, like not at all, hundred percent. But do you I know people who have world records that don't call themselves athletes and like you yeah. know throwing you sports f- like the discus. Yeah, you think that we <laughs> perpetuate it by making a big deal about the open for five weeks, going in and getting everyone together to watch the CrossFit Games and calling it training versus mm-hmm. a workout. Like you'll never hear anyone in my gym be like, "Oh, how's your training going?" Say, like, "Hey, how's your workout going?" Now, if you're doing individual design in my gym for the Spartan, uh, you know, sprint or the beast that's mm-hmm. happening in four months, that person's training for a specific event. Like I guess, and I don't really care what people call themselves, whatever gets you motivated. And I understand, like I love the Nike commercial of the fat kid running and he's coming out from the distance and everyone's an athlete and find your greatness. I do love that stuff from a motivation standpoint. I just, when the culture is getting twisted and a gym owner is like, I got this competitive culture. I just can't seem to squash it. I'm like, well, why do you guys keep referring to everyone as an athlete, telling them that they're training? And then you glorify for five weeks, this fucking event that is essentially March madness, the beginning of March madness for the fucking, a real actual sport. Yeah. And then they're like, well, it's community. I'm like, you see what you're doing there, Johnny, you're fucking, you got your dick on both sides of the line there. You need to make one decision over the other as to what you want to do. Not that there's anything wrong with having a culture of the, the open and stuff. I love it. I think it's great. 
but you can't have both. You can't be like, I don't want the douchiness that comes well, with people, people, if you ha- If you're pushing that down people's throats, people will quit because they're like, I'm not good enough. I'm not an athlete, you know, and I don't want to go compete. And like, anyone who's been on, like you saw what happened, like with grid, even though these guys all got along, was there drama as it comes to relationships on teams? Yes. Oh God, yeah. People, yeah, there's drama, right? And then I hear gym owners like, I want less drama in my gym. I'm like, quit making it seem like you've got a giant sports team and there's like a select few of starters in there. Like when it's just, people ask me like, How's, do you have drama at our movement? I'm like, no, I, I honestly, I can honestly say we have no, I cannot think, I could not anecdotally long enough sit here and think of anything. And the other reason why? People don't hang out for two hours after the workout at Urban Movement. People aren't, you know, fucking, the, the, the community is so strong within that one hour. Fist bumps, hey, how you doing? Did you have a good Christmas? Awesome, great. But they're not so intertwined like that client who notices like, hey, I noticed you did something different to the programming this week. I'm not, I, I really don't like what you did. Like when a client notices like these subtle differences, the programming, because they're just like so obsessed with it. That's when I'm like, well, of course you have drama on it, but are we to blame? Did we create yeah, that ourselves? Yeah, and, and the, the competition thing kind of actually does go into kind of what you said about like logistics. You know, how do you create a program when, when people can't come every day? Well, like competition programming, you know that they're going to do ex- – it's so much easier to program yeah. for comp- competitors because they're going to yeah. do everything you say on these yeah. days. And they're like going to percentage based training 85%. Well, I work out at CrossFit fuck off and we do back squats at 83% today. I'm like, great. When did you test that one RM? They're like, well, this other time, I'm like, awesome. That was your one RM on that day. You might show up the next day. That's not your one RM. You might be hungover. Especially you novices. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it's percentage based like- training is like 83% sometimes feels like 93% Sally. Like that's why it's hard in the gen pop regular one hour workout. I'd be like, Oh, we have this awesome program. We do percentage based training. I'm like, cool i get it math makes sense it's easier to tell everyone hey guys the magic juju right and and it's funny because i do use some percentages but but it's because we have we usually have one lift that we're focusing on sure Um, we'll do it like twice a week for six weeks you know most people are going to miss half of those right but but uh, um but we do we do a little like a little test in before and then we if you know your percentages use it but it's really just sure. kind of a more periodized percentages day. only get really da- not dangerous in a like a safety way necessarily but in like a is it or can people actually repeat them when you get at like eighty percent or more like if you're telling everyone do this metcon at fifty one percent whatever whether they're feeling it strong that day or not it's not going to matter because it's a light enough load to create the the desired dose response yeah so, yeah and so and so uh, um yeah if you did it a few days ago or last week you can you know what you did so just do a little bit more you know like follow this progression and that's that's why what i found when we started testing this was was that uh beginners need to learn the movement so if you do it enough if you do it once or twice a week for six they can practice it and learn the movement advanced people you know my theory is back in the day all the bros maxed out at four or five deadlift like right around the low fours it was always like nobody could get more than that and then, you know, I eventually, I, you know, ran into Louis Simmons and he's talking about speed days and they do 60%, you know, 60 to 65% sure. of their max. Yeah. 60% of 405 is 225. Mm-hmm. So in CrossFit, all we were doing was speed. And for yeah. some reason, our deadlifts only maxed out at that, at that other number. And yeah, because so, there was no absolute strength training that, that was being done. back. Then. And so people were all getting stuck. And so the more intermediate people and advanced people need the frequency and the routine to then continue to progress. And so that's why the, the strength focuses work so well. And, yeah. uh, and like, yeah, so when I'm looking at the programming, I have this, you know, this monster spreadsheet that's like 10,000 lines long at this point. But it, it's a... a I make sure that like, I don't do the same lifts on like, if, if Monday's always your leg day, like your heavy leg day, what about people who can't come on Mondays? 
like that, that, or for whatever reason, you know, so, so you, they're not on the same program. If they're not doing the, the, the training, you have to make it homogenous enough to where people all get the right stimulus. So like, yeah. I make sure that like, we're not doing the same movement on two Tuesdays in a row. Or and I like how you gave the food analogy of the family style. And for those of you guys who aren't Italian, uh, family style eating is where like uh, things come out in huge portions and you just pass around. Oh, hey, oh, you know what? Yes. I want the potatoes. Hand me those. No, I don't want this. And there's enough for everybody. Whereas a lot of, I think with the, the, group model it's a lot more like an all-you-can-eat buffet where people just walk up and it just yeah i'll have some of this and then when people want to get optimally designed or they want something specific they have to order that a la carte they have to get that special and obviously for gyms in the business like that's going to create extra revenue you know individual design and personal training are the are the other real main revenue streams outside of nutrition you're going to have as a micro gym owner i what is your what is your thought process going back to that like uh you know owner not athlete right and you mentioned it hate exercise and working out. I literally, I'm at the stage of my fitness in my life. I don't give a fuck. Like it's not that I, I don't hate it, but I just, if I literally had you ask me, Stu, sit down and pump out some content or work on something or hang out with the kid or whatever it is like that, or go into the gym at 5.30 and work out, I'm going with the former every fucking time. But I force myself to go because I like to taste my own food. And I, and there's a part of me and you get this owning a business. Sometimes we're like, I'm not going to work out today. And it's like, fuck, did I just become a slave to this thing? Damn it. Did I do that again? Did I like, did I create a business and trap myself in it? No, fuck it. I'm going to go work out to prove to myself that I'm not a slave to my bitch business. And there's, you had that back and forth. Where do you see in your experience as an entrepreneur and with other gym owners that you speak with, do, do you think too many guys are, are crying wolf that I, the business isn't doing well enough, but then they are also on a very intense fucking bat, like, you know, fucking GVT squat training fucking protocol that's going to take them 90 minutes a day in the gym. And it's like, you got to give it, there's only 24 hours in a day. You got to give or take somewhere. Well, you, you know, do, coming from the martial arts thing, I was always taught that because I started teaching it, right? And, and, you know, the, there's nothing greater than, you know, you want your, your charges, your students, your clients or whatever to, to be better than eventually. Yeah. You know, to be better than you. And I think a lot of people, because they were always the fittest in their gym, they start like training to kind of keep that, that role because their identity is so tied to being that guy. And they feel like if they, if they aren't the fittest person in the gym, they're not the leader or the expert. And so then they're really kind of putting that as a priority where it's like, look, you should be, you should look, look pretty fucking good and be able to do your workouts. You know, all, all the workouts you create, um, working out three times a week, you know, yeah. for going to a class, heaven forbid, like you should go to your classes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if your programming can't, you know, can't get you decently, decent enough fit, fitter than the 99.9% .9 of the rest of the world, then like, something's up, you know, and, and uh, you don't have to be doing these crazy training programs. Now, if you still love competing and that that's kind of your fun sport, there's, there has to be a little bit of give and take, you know, you're going to have to say like, you can do that. It's just like, if you want to have competitors in your gym, that's a nice to have. That's like a bonus. Like that, sure. you know, this is stuff that I, I've written about where it's like, look, like, like, competition team people or these clicks, they drain the business resources. We were spending like 50 grand a year flying these people around and taking care of them and trying to go to the games and stuff. And I was like, that was money that we could have put back in the business. We could have put in our pocket, yeah. you know, not much and, of an ROI there. No, no. And that was the, and in fact, it actually started hurting the business because sure. everyone knew that we were this hardcore competition gym, even though we weren't because we were going to the game. Oh yeah. Oh, that Diablo's hardcore, you know? And, and, uh, you know, we had like 28 classes a day in one location. You know, we were doubling up classes and, and, uh, we had them staggered so that like, you know, we could kind of rotate through and it was a lot of the same logistics stuff you're talking about. 
And, and uh, we had so many people that didn't do anything like that, but that was the perception. So we, we didn't get as many new members. People weren't, com we, we, did, we had maybe like seven people over the years come to us because we were a competition gym. Yeah. And so, so the, the, the competition thing, um, and so when I create the programming in this sort of family style format, like I, I scale every movement individually instead of saying like, here's the beginner workout, here's the intermediates and here's the advanced. When you do that, it's like running three separate classes. And it's, 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 uh, uh, and if, if Sally can't do toes to bar, but she's pretty strong, she should do the barbell weight that's best for her and then scale the toes to bar or whatever. Right. Not saying, Oh, well you can't, you're going to do the beginner workout because you can't do toes to bar. And that's not good for her progress every piece of the, the, the daily lesson plan should be uh, customized to every person, you know? And so, and so we also don't call it uh, advanced intermediate novice for a couple of reasons. If you have Sally's a 55 year old woman, she's the fittest of all her friends, you know, outside of the gym and she's always doing novice weight. She's going to feel like she's never progressing. Right. And, and so, so we call it health. It's, it's health, health athletic performance. And, and, uh, you know, in my performance is a 95 pound fram for men. It's, it's not, it's, it, you know, when I create workouts, I want, you know, 80 to 90% of the people to be able to kind of do it RX. You know, if you create a workout where only one person in your gym can RX it, or you program a hero workout and nobody can do it. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, wh who are you programming for? Why are you doing that to your people? You know, like, like the, like I say, it's, it, you, you know, and you were talking about the consistency with people week to week. And it's like, I say, you want your programming to, to, you know, the competition program is like a race car. Like you don't want to have like some super fast sports car that like requires a lot of maintenance and you have to keep it in the garage. You don't want that to be your daily driver. Like if you need a truck, buy a fucking truck. Like it needs yeah. to be durable. It needs to be able to, to meet people's schedules. And some people train two days this week and no, you know, no days next week. And they're still seeing some gains and some results. And so, and so I create the programming for just regular people. Then, the, then there's a scale up, right? Which is written down below somewhere else for the competitors. And I create the competition programming. They have separate work they're doing on their lifting and their gymnastics type movements. And then the Metcon a lot of times is the same. I'd say about nine times out of 10, it's the same Metcon, but scaled up. And so they can come in and they can do their open gym and they can do their lifts or whatever. And then they can come to class. And even if it's just one or two days a week, um, that is huge for the community because even like, like when we had Alessandra Pacelli training with us, you know, she was off in the corner doing some crazy shit, like insane, like people, Oh my gosh. And she is literally probably the nicest person on the planet. She's so humble and quiet and nice. Like, like, like I, one of literally one of the nicest people I know, but people would start feeling like, Oh, well she thinks she's better than me. You know, she's doing her own thing. She's better. She's, she's too good for the classes or whatever. And, and it's like, no, as long as she was still being herself and being around, you can, you can combat that. Because even if the competitors aren't a-holes, right? Like, if they're not total fucking jerks and, like, you know, the, people will still perceive that they think that they're better than them and it creates this click atmosphere. And if they come to classes and, 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 and it also helps people who are in your classes say, like, oh, wow, like, I, I actually did pretty good next to this person who lives and breathes this shit. I actually did. I, I, I could maybe I should enter a local comp or whatever. Maybe I should do the open this year because I can, I can do the workouts sure. at the scale up level. And it, so it creates that, that dynamic where you have both, but you got it. You can't have your, your competitors, you know, off in the corner doing their thing. It just sucks. It sucks so many resources and sucks the life out of your community. I, and we've all, we've, people have definitely seen that. I think that that's becoming something that a lot of guys understand. Now, one of the things I'm always interested in is data. People are like, 
I don't, there's no data tracking at Urban Moon. And again, it's different model, but there's no data tracking. And then I, I'll get a lot of someone who's trying to like corner me in something publicly to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then how are you able to prove that the fitness that they're getting is making them fitter? And I'm like, it's the same way that the 10 steakhouses in Charlotte, North Carolina aren't able to physically prove they have the best steak in town. How do you prove to someone you made the best steak in town? Uh, there's a waiting list. You can't get a reservation on Saturdays and I'm making money. That's how I fucking know that again, do I have data and hard points? Could you put on an Excel sheet? No, but that's how many people are here. That's how much money we make per person. And that's this and that those are my, those are the metrics that I utilize. And is that getting away from fitness? Yes. And I'm very big. And my gym is not there to get you optimal fitness. I joke around about the three F's in like a, a young demographic, a young professionals demographic fitness friends, and fuck. Meaning mm-hmm. I want I want to get fit. I would like to make some friends socially, maybe nothing too crazy, but I'd like to have a social element to my fitness. And for my demographic, a lot of them are looking for a mate. They're single, not married. Mm-hmm. So fitness, friends, and fuck. That, that is like a kind of when I look at the overview of like their scope and I market to that group, That's those are the three Fs I think about. Performance is nowhere in there. Like when we did our core, um, we come up with our core avatar. If we want the person, I believe there's two kinds of clients. There's athlete first and athlete second. And we want athletes second. It's even athletes second, third, fourth, or fifth. I'm a mom or a CPA or a bro or a, a guy that enjoys football or whatever before I will ever consider myself an athlete. And I hate you know that term, but just to set it home versus the client at a CrossFit gym that's like checking the workout of the day and they have a gym bag with 300 bucks of fucking wrist wraps, knee sleeves, two different pairs of shoes, belts. They literally have an entire full carry-on suitcase full of equipment and they literally plan their life around this thing. They're athlete first and there's nothing wrong with that. There's just... Again, and I'll be interested. Do you want to focus on that? Is that going to be your core? And with the change of the games. Like everyone asked me, how do you feel with everything? You know, the change of the games. I'm like, hey, I don't really give a fuck. It doesn't influence my business at all. Number two, I think it's good because I think, think, again, this whole athlete members being called athletes. Like I think it's a complete sign of disrespect to look at someone like a Matt Frazier who this is his everything. His every waking dollar he has is going to be sponsorship or competition money. Everything he has in his essence of this, you, Sally, who, again, you work nine to five somewhere. You like to be a girl. You like to be one of the girls at, you know, Nashville fucking for bachelor party 2019. And you like going out Mm -hmm. on New Year's Eve. And then you want to call yourself an athlete too because you did a super fit competition. Get the fuck out of here, Sally. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, you know, when you start focusing, those people take up so much more space and equipment and, and at, they're just at the yeah, gym more hours capacity. And, and half of them want a discount. Cause they're like, Oh, I'm competing for you. You know? And it's they like, should pay or, more. Yeah. Yeah. You guys should charge more. If you, if you offer comp- a competition class and competition programming, hundred percent should be an upcharge. And, and, uh, uh, and then you can give them, you can deliver on that value. You know, you can, again, you can help customize our programming. You can make them do make a requirement. Like if you want to do competition programming, you got to do a PT a month with me to just check yeah. in. And see I like that the shit's in Dubai. Oh, you're going to bitch about the extra hundred dollars a month in competition programming. You know how much a plane ticket to Dubai is you cheap fuck. Like, okay. like really like you, now you actually have to start investing real money. Like, you know, I cannot wait till sports psychology becomes to the same level as your physical therapy or your, you know, massage therapist and your programming mm-hmm. coach and your Olympic weightlifting coach. And people actually, the sport is, it's still, everyone thinks it's the, oh, it's completely evolved. It has. I mean, it was an amoeba and now it's on the beach and it kind of has these little fucking gills and stuff. It is not a walking, talking primate yet. This sport has still so much to advance to. And it's fun to watch that happen, you know, from being in the early days like you and I were, but still to hear competitive, these competitive gaming, like video games. Oh, it's versus, yeah. 
far, far greater than the oh, CrossFit great. Games, yeah. many yeah. times over. Like there's exactly. multiple competitions a year that have, you know, two, $3 million purses for the winner. And it's like yeah. video games, you know, but yeah. that has a wider audience. It has a wider, yeah. you know, pool. And it's like comparing it to, I remember years ago, like finding out that professional bull riding was like, yeah. they had like a $3 million purse compared to CrossFit. Yeah, PBR. Like, yeah. 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 And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And it's like, we have so much f- farther to go. Yeah, the Ocho. CrossFit's not even on the Ocho. You know, it's one of those things. I want to leave everybody on this with a couple things. Number one, um, I want them at the very end, I want them to make sure if they want to contact you regarding programming all this. I know you've got something for anyone listening, but I want to give everyone one tip. We'll each go. If you have that competitive culture in the gym and you're you, you're, you're trying to start to, to not squash it. I think that's the wrong verbiage, but if you're trying to really try to make, to weed it out or you want to move in a different direction, how can you do it without just being like, all right, all you guys that think you're, get the fuck out of here and it being really black and white with it. And, um, and I'll go first and I want you to go the, the best way I've always found. And it, the, best, the only games I watch, the only thing with the CrossFit games I watch, I watch teens and masters. That's it. I don't care. You can tell me Matt Frazier fucking flew. I'd believe you. I don't give a shit. But the teens and masters are always to me just so, so refreshing for some reason. When you find some girls or whatever guys that you have that are like 26 years old and they're like, I'm going to go to the games and you don't want to tell them you're not because I believe anyone can do anything. I believe do what you can't. I truly do. But I always like to get, I would give them workouts and then they'd come back and I wouldn't say anything about the workout and they'd come back like, oh, so how, how is this? I'm like, it's awesome, man. You would have finished 46 in the uh, 17 year old division. <laughs> yeah. You would have finished 46 and those kids will be in your division in two years and they're eight years younger than you. So mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. And that was just yeah. always my really easy way to, instead of, you know, not rubbing anyone's face and to be like, that's just the bottom line. People are starting it earlier. And unfortunately you found this too late. Mm-hmm. That's just the bottom line. Unfortunately you did. If you're 29 right now and you want to make it to the games and you just found it, it's too late for you. Probably short of being a f- fucking genetic phenom kind of scenario. Yeah, it's all but, the same names, right? Of people going back to the games and like, and yeah. even a lot of those names they've dropped to teams or dropped off because they can't, they can't hang, you know? Yeah. What and, piece of advice would you give someone that needs to address this in, a, in an appropriate way? I would say, I would say that people need to, they need to bring everyone back under the same umbrella, right? So it's like, if you, if you, it's, it, you need to create a, um, some sort of standard to say, if you want to do kind of competition training, if I had a bunch of people in the gym that wanted to do Spartan races, like I would create, something for them you know yeah sure to charge and charge for it that's the way this is it's not it's 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 separate from your 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 normal programming but it should be but it can be an add-on and it should be extra cost extra money but you say okay look we're gonna we're gonna put a competition class in um everybody has to meet these standards like the standards i came up with years ago you can come up with your own and and it's like and you have to do some one-on-one training with a coach that's going to help keep you accountable and, and tweak your programming for you. And, and, uh, and that's how we're going to move forward with this like fun activity. It's, it's a weekend warrior thing, you know, like if people want to do it for fun and do the local stuff, great. You know, we have this environment, but it's like, it should be an upcharge and you have to create some barriers to that. Yeah. No, yeah. And, it, and it becomes a, re- it becomes a revenue stream for sure. I agree hundred percent. And to be honest with you, like when you were jamming programming is like the last thing I like to get into because it just, I like to stay on the business side of it and the branding side of it or whatever. But I, I do really appreciate someone who has as much knowledge as you to come on and jam on that. If anyone is interested, like number one, this fucking, this list of the standards, I'm a, have you kept that updated? Like, do you have an updated version yeah, of that? Yeah, I think, I think I, I don't know if I have it as a free download on the site. I have like things like, like you talk about business stuff. I have like uh 
over, I think it's like over 300 uh, kind of icebreaker questions that you can roll yeah, out in yeah. the class to create Those community. Cool. You can, it's all, it's categorized by, by uh, like silly, uh, um, interesting, deep, and then short, medium, and long questions. So if you have a big class, you can do a short question. If you have a few people, you can do a deeper question. I like substitutions for injuries. Uh, all that stuff is free downloads on thrivestry.com. But, uh, um, but yeah, I have this standard. It was basically like, if you, here's the novice level, you know, here's the intermediate level, here's the advanced level. And, and, uh, um, and kind of like, it's not a, it's, it's just a snapshot. It's kind of like, sure. it's kind of like the combine for football where it's not a real direct measure. Cause you, if you specialize in these it's things close enough to let you know, Oh, I still got some shit to work on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I have, I have that stuff and it's something, and once it's in writing and you put it on the wall, people don't argue with you anymore. Yeah. You know? 100%. <laughs> and, 100%. Uh, um, and then, and then if you guys want to, if you guys want more, what I did is I set up, I set it up to where, uh, um, if you guys go to Instagram and, uh, uh, and, and message, follow me on Instagram and, and message me, um, I, I don't, I don't usually give out programming and there's no free sample you can download because when you look at my programming, it like, I need to explain it to you because it's so in depth. You know, when I send out programming, there's a video every single day. I write articles every week. Uh, um, there's all kinds of extra content. But if for, for you guys listening, for Stu, if you guys message me on there, I'll send you guys a coupon code where you can get a month free. So, so um, at least, you know, you can sign up, you'll get at least a month free and, you know, hopefully stick around for a few more months. But only do it if you're really interested. Don't do it if you're just curious, you know, because I don't want to have to go on and turn off people's auto pays. <laughs> it's a pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome, man. I appreciate it. It's so funny you say that. Like, people are like, hey, can I get some programming? It's like when people are like, hey, we help me create an ad. I'm like, for what? Like, I know nothing about your business, your branding, your intentions, your goals, your, you know, it's all... Oh, man, everyone wants, just, everyone think, wants a quick, everyone wants I, quick. I think it's because everyone, everyone thought, I think everyone thought they were buying into a franchise, whether they actually knew it or not. I think that's what a lot of gym owners, micro gym owners should have done is they should have franchised because they don't have the entrepreneurial mindset for this thing. They don't truly, they cannot see it uh, for themselves. They constantly need someone to hold their dick for them when they piss. And that's just one of those things where I think they would have been much better off owning a franchise where it was laid out for them and there was less risk. And, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I talked to somebody, yes, a new a new subscriber yesterday at Thrive Street, and and uh, she was like, "Oh, yeah, this business plan." I was like, "Whoa, you have a business plan? Like, <laughs> gym owners usually don't have a business plan." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I like working out. I'm going to start this gym or whatever. Yeah. And it's so funny with with uh, um yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Like, and that and and again, that's kind of the kind of stuff we do with Mad Lab and and I do with Thrive Street too, where I'm trying to help people with with systems and concepts to kind of get people to where they to where they can actually have a successful business you know it's yeah. funny how crossfit's finally starting to do some business advice because i think they yeah. realize the attrition you know is so great like i'm also known as the guy who who tracks the affiliates i don't know if you've seen those posts oh yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah on the map yeah, yep. and, and uh and i haven't done it recently but but uh, um you know last year there was there was hundreds of affiliates closing or, or de-affiliating or whatever you know and and uh i don't and, even understand why people buy new equipment anymore just wait set up a yeah, few alerts. Yeah, like, there's so many, so many gyms and, and, you know, and I've absorbed gyms too. I know, I know how that works. I actually suspect a lot of those gyms that are over five or six years old are also new owners. I do talk to a lot of people who are actually, they've taken over or bought a gym from yeah. somebody else. So even if they're still really in the shut down, they just incestually go to somebody else. Yeah. 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 So, coach or a member buys it or whatever. Yeah. And so it's, it's, uh, uh, so I think CrossFit's finally realizing like, wait a minute, if we help these, these businesses stay in business, then we'll get more affiliate fees. Right. Yep. And so, um, when I checked it last year, there was, there, they were still growing, but that was because it was all the international market. Yeah. Right? yeah, so like the US, growth, they were, yeah. 
they were losing like a you know hundred you know hundreds of gyms out of the U.S. and they were adding hundreds of gyms you know South America, Asia, everywhere else. Makes sense. And so, um, but but I'm, I'm again, it's not it's it's not an easy business like it used to be. You know, I got lucky and rode the wave, and yeah. uh, uh, we did, we made some smart moves, but but uh, but I also you know had some crazy just got crazy lucky, you know, the, the, the stories I could tell about just the crazy stuff. Like I had one guy die of a heart attack in, in, in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Uh, uh, they revived him. And then, uh, you know, I had a member who is in prison right now for murder where he, he shot someone outside of the gym, um, <laughs> on a Sunday those things, night. Those, yeah, those things would have made some yeah, money like, or made, uh, made the, made the press, uh, but like today that would a couple, be, uh, couple months ago, I had a member die of cancer that, that, uh, you know, she had a term, terminal cancer and, and she fought it for a couple of years and, and, uh, she just passed away that weekend after the memorial service, I went to a wedding with my clients, you know, that, that met at the gym. And it's like, it's just crazy. These, the, 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 the stuff that you go through, it's, it's yeah. not like any other job. There's no other career that that works like being and, a coach in client services yeah it's it's a pretty unique one in the client services industry but awesome man jj thank you so much and so guys to the instagram is there any other way they, for them to contact you or any, well, any jj at drivestry.com yeah yeah and if you there go to drivestry you can set up an appointment to meet with me and we could just talk about your business and see if, it, if the programming is a good fit i understand it's not for everybody if you like doing it and and you you have the the experience and the education to do it fucking do it just do a good job just do a fucking good job don't 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 half-ass it, you know, um, and then and then shop around too, you know. My my shtick with Thriveistry is it's thrive and mastery. So it's like I I it's programming for regular people to have a great life, and it's not about competition, and it's not about like these crazy bands and chains. You don't need any crazy equipment, you know. Like like it's really just if you want your people to train with you for ten plus years, you know, the rest of their lives, this is the programming that they can do. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, listen, JJ, thank you so much for being on today. It was a pleasure, but dude, dude, I feel like we could keep talking forever. I know. I know. Do this again. Awesome. <laughs> yes, absolutely.